Uh, my name is Reagan, in case you missed that. Um, we are going to go ahead and just read the story real quick. Tonight's story is Noah. Who has heard the story of Noah? If we're kind of familiar, all right, great. If you're not, and you want to be following along with me, I'm going to start in Genesis 6, verse 5, and go down to verse 22. I'm going to skip a couple along the way just for the sake of everybody's time tonight. Starting in verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And I'm going to skip a couple. You don't need to know the dimensions of the ark, do you? But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark that I have commanded you to build. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you, or into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all God had commanded him. So the ending of the story, I'm going to set this down. The ending of the story is that everything happens as God said it would. The flood comes. It rains for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the, water, the winds come and the water subsides from the face of the earth. And creation begins anew from the ark. So that's the story of Noah. And I thought it was really interesting because I love this story. And I thought it was really interesting when I found this in my school library. Has anyone seen this before? No? This is a graphic novel of the story of Noah. Check this out. Man, this is just... All right. So that's Noah. He looks like Thor, the god of thunder. A creative decision made. And it's, it's very, like, Frank Miller-esque. It, it's just such a... Oh, what a kind human... Check it. So, so Noah's running down the ark. There's a, a dead bear. I don't know why it's dead. But he's got an axe in his hand. And now they're on the side of the ark. There's some monsters. It, it's a crazy graphic novel. Thank you so much. You're very kind. Everyone give a hand for Henry. <laughs> it's so interesting. This is just another way of telling the story. Now, this was written by Darren Aronofsky. Uh, if you, you might be familiar with that name. He is the very family-friendly filmmaker known for movies like Mother... Uh, Black Swan, uh, what else did he make? Pie, Requiem for a Dream. And then in 2016, he made Noah. You might have seen this movie. Or 2014, I think. And it's, it's a really interesting film, because in classic Hollywood fashion, it took a story set in the ancient Near East and used all a white cast for it. So you got the Gladiator, uh, Hermione Granger, Percy Jackson, Hannibal Lecter, all taking on these biblical characters. And this movie upset a lot of, um, I would say, 
Southern evangelicals especially, at least I was in Texas at the time, because it makes some very, very creative decisions with the story. If you've been following along, you know, it's only a few quick thumb scrolls. If you're on the screen, it's a, quite a short story. And so to make it a two-hour and 18-minute epic, he had, to, he had to do something. So he had stuff. He had some, like, rock monsters and things. You should watch it sometime if you haven't. It's, it's worth doing. And so all these movies, or all these different, hey, man, I'm sorry. This story has gotten many different interpretations, also like this one. Anyone seen that? Right as Michael Scott was becoming like a college household name, uh, Steve Carell went on and took on Noah in a modern-day adaptation of this story. And Morgan Freeman was God himself uh, in the classic sequel to Bruce Almighty. And so these two have made some more like creative decisions trying to do something modern with this, this ancient story. But it, it, they weren't like improving biblical literacy, right? So some studios felt like they needed to do something to actually give people just the story. Just give me the actual story. So we got, we got these guys <laughs> trying to actually make the, the story the way it is. Now, I don't understand why the team behind this decided to give the vegetables an iris. That, that never made sense to me because when I grew up, they just had like white eyes and a black pupil, and that was it. And then VeggieTales dropped off, and now they, now they have blue or green eyes, and it haunts my nightmares. It's just, it's very strange. But there have been some other adaptations as well that kind of, I don't know, toe the line of both, maybe? Maybe like this one? Did anyone ever see this? It was like a Disney Channel movie in like 98. Um, can you believe that Disney was in on the Bible game? You saw that, Dan? Was it good? There's no way it was good. <laughs> Tight. All right. I think that's all we need to know about that movie. What, what's the next one? <laughs> so Hollywood used to make these like huge biblical epics. Who's seen uh, uh, Charlton Heston's The Ten Commandments, right? These huge uh, Hollywood epics, like millions of dollars poured into these movies. This was kind of one of those. But it took this story to then relate it to, I think, World War I. What's another adaptation? I know there's more. Oh, another Disney representation. So this one was interesting. One of my favorite creative decisions because it took the, the Noah story and Donald Duck was one of the lead characters sent by Noah to help corral all the animals and it was set to the graduation song, Pomp and Circumstance. I, yeah, cool. All right, what's another one? Did anyone watch this? It was on what, History Channel, yeah? It was a, just a few years ago, so they went through the whole Bible and it was a mini-series, so each episode was, was another story from the Bible, kind of in chronological order, which, of course, the Noah story made it in, because why wouldn't it? All right, what's another adaptation? Oh, the great Mel Gibson horror film. <laughs> Has nothing to do with the Noah story. I just wanted to make that joke. Okay, what's another one? <laughs> and, of course, you've got the literary kind of adaptations, like this one, this graphic novel. But the graphic novels are more for adults, if you've never really read one. They're, I mean, there are children's ones, but typically they're, they're more of an, a mature kind of thing. So there's also literary versions for, for children. You've got Noah's Ark. This was just a popular one I found on Amazon. But if you grew up in a Christian home as a young kid, you probably had biblical stories as children's books, right? Who's, who's with me? Nice. So I think as we can all see, people, cool, people like telling stories. And people just like hearing stories. And so the, the Bible is a great way to share stories. And Genesis is a very good example of the power of story. And I think we can 
think of Genesis along this, this thought in a couple different ways. First, it's a way that one particular community, the community of Israel, made sense of their world. People were asking these questions like, why isn't everything perfect? Why are we working for our food? Why does it hurt so much to give birth? Why are there colors in the sky after rains and a bow? Uh, why were our people enslaved in Egypt? Why does anything exist at all? And Genesis are those stories to answer those questions. These stories were a way of giving people a sense of what their world is. Think about the beginning of Black Panther. Did anyone see Black Panther? At the very beginning of the movie, when it begins, it's a young child. You don't see anything. It's just a young child's voice saying, Papa, how did the earth start? Or uh, what, tell me about the beginning, or something like that. And then the father tells the story of how everything came to be. And so it answers questions like, why is there so much adamantium in Wakanda? Uh, why, why did this tribe uh, go off into the mountain? Why have we isolated ourselves from the rest of the world? This, the story is how this father can make sense of the world for his child or help his child make sense of the world. Now, second, Genesis is kind of like a trilogy of movies or a TV series. You can go ahead and watch Toy Story 4. You could have seen that over the summer without seeing any of the others, right? And it, you probably thought it was a good movie if you're that kind of person, but you didn't really, it wouldn't have made sense why this group of toys were together or any, you wouldn't have understood any of the references to past events of the stories. In the same way, we can go ahead and jump to the story of Joseph. But you're not going to understand the history behind what happened and what brought everybody here. You can read the story of Noah, and it's a great story. It's, 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 it's beyond what we can comprehend. Rain for 40 days and 40 nights because God wants to get rid of the world. But we have to understand what happened before that so we can make sense of why this had to happen. Why did this come about? So to get us to that point, let's go ahead and remind ourselves of the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, God created, right? We've already heard this story from Pastor Randall a couple weeks ago. All things came to be through the power of God. When humans entered the picture, humanity was given a gift. And that gift was creation and also relationship. Adam was given Eve because it is not good for humans to be alone. And plants and vegetation, everything is given as a gift. It's all a gift for humanity in the text. But what happens in that story? Well, what happened was humanity decided they wanted to be like God. They wanted something that they were told they couldn't have, so they, they ate of the fruit, and then curses were brought. And these curses are interesting because one of the main ones for the man is that the ground becomes cursed. What happens is now man has to work for, uh, for food and for all the resources. Because at first it was just there. The garden was, was perfection and it was ready. But because of this action, now man has to work for food because of the curse of the ground. You are from dust and to dust you will return. There's a clear connection to the ground. And there's also kind of a violence in the mix, right? Because these plants are now growing thorns and thistles. The rose is no longer just one beautiful, easy plant to pick. No, now, now it's got thorns. This is how they're making sense of what this is. That is a, a direct response, a direct correlation to the fall of man. And the serpent's curse is also related to violence, isn't it? Your head will be trampled and some it will be stomped. Man will, man will strike your head with their foot and you will strike their heel. That's a, a fairly violent image. So in the fall, violence and curses 
to the ground emerge. Now we need to follow the narrative just one more time, one more story, before we can get to Noah and understand what's really going on. And that story is the story of Cain and Abel. Now Cain and Abel is just one, one chapter later from verse, or Genesis 3, it's Genesis 4. And this is uh, the two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel both bring their offerings to God. God finds Abel's to be pleasing and Cain's is not. Out of jealousy, Cain goes out and kills Abel because his was not, was not pleasing to God. His younger brother had found favor where he had not. And that, that upsets him so much that it leads him to kill his own brother. And I, it, it's so fascinating. I, I feel bad saying I love it, but also it's, it's just really, really, really powerful to see what God says to Cain after this. God says, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And then Cain is banished from the land. Now, I, I don't know how popular, I haven't been here too long. How popular are farms in New England? Are there really many farms? Anyone like from a farm north of the Mason-Dixon line? No, well, if you've ever talked to a farm, I'm not from a farm, I'm from Texas, but not a farm. If you've ever talked to a farmer, to tell them they can't be with their land is the worst thing imaginable, right? Because this is their livelihood. Like Farmers don't take vacations ever because having land and taking care of it and, and reaping and sowing crops is so demanding and it's an all-day thing that it, it is their life. Their life is in the ground. And so you kind of got to think about that when we're thinking about Cain, that now he's in every way that we can imagine separated from his own life because the blood of his brother has been swallowed by the ground. Right? It's, it's weird to say you love that. Because it's so dark and so hard to imagine what that means. But also, this connection to the ground, it's, it's so interesting. And it's right here in the text. This is Cain's experience. So now we have a cursed ground both from Adam and Cain. And in both stories, we have betrayal and violence in a strong connection to the ground, both between each other, between humanity, horizontally, person to person, but also vertically from person to ground. So I think we're caught up on the prequels now, and now we're ready, we're ready for the story of Noah. And we're brought back to Genesis 6, uh, verses 5 to 22. And we're at a full world. Right now, the world, it's a world that has experienced history. It's got a history of its own. It's seen creation and fall. It's seen peace and discord. It's seen wholeness and brokenness. It's seen harmony and violence. And this now is a world that is violent. That, that's all that God sees when God looks at the world is that humanity is just violent. They're just, they've lost the way. All they have is wickedness in their heart. All of their thoughts are wickedness. And I can't do this. I, I, I regret this. God says, I wish I had not done this. But one, one person has found favor, and that is Noah. So Noah comes down the same lineage of people that have been violent. Uh, if you look at the lineage, there have been two instances of just murder uh, found in the, in the beginning of Genesis, namely between Cain and Abel. And this is the line that, that Noah comes from. He's a distant cousin of Cain, actually. And through him, God declares, 
I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Violence is in both humanity, again, horizontally, but it's also in the ground. Remember, the, the ground swallowed the blood of Abel. The earth plays two parts in this story of the flood. First, the earth experiences its own death because God says that I will kill all vegetation, anything that has life on the earth, uh, the plants, vegetation, uh, all the animals except the ones that get to go in the ark, all humans except the ones that get to go in the ark. They're done. I'm, I'm taking them away. The earth is experiencing its own death, its own kind of cleansing. And second, the earth is actually the agent of its own destruction, right? Because it's what happens when this flood comes. It's, it's a rain from the atmosphere. And it's floods, waters rising from, from the ocean to take everything over. The earth is actually taking part in its own destruction. And in a story that can sound so bleak and so, so dreary, a story we don't really want to read, but we want to see what happens, thank goodness there's still hope in the story, right? Because God makes a covenant with Noah. That covenant is that the family, he, his wife, his sons, his son's wife, and all living things that are brought onto this boat, onto this ark, will be saved. And Noah is given the task of taking care of these things that are on the ark. And Noah does so. Seven pairs of clean animals, one pair of unclean. Seven pairs of birds, and then rain for seven days, or rain for seven days, and then a flood of 40 days and 40 nights. These are significant numbers in the Judeo-Christian story, uh, or tradition, rather. And we should do an, a series on, on numberology sometime, because it's interesting stuff. But I don't want to take your time too much tonight. And as I said, everything happens as God says. Eventually, the waters recede from the winds, from the, the breath of life. It's the same word. Um, that which was given life to these, this humanity that then just kind of went astray and ruined things is the same, the same wind, the same breath or spirit uh, as later traditions use that, that makes everything go away. The, the, the pain and destruction of flood uh, is then cleansed away by, by the breath of life. The cleansing has happened. Now it's a world that is ready to start over because God's word has been fulfilled. And when this happens, Noah does what any righteous man would do at the time. He offers sacrifices. Because the ark is emptied, everything is done as according to plan. And the text says that these sacrifices were pleasing to the Lord and decides that, you know what, I'm not going to do this again. I don't, I don't want this to happen ever again. God says, as long as the earth remains, all will go on as planned. Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will continue. A couple of verses later, we actually have the official covenant of God. And this is a covenant many actually think of in the story of Noah. What, what is that sign of the covenant? Anyone know? Anyone remember? It's the rainbow. Yeah. The rainbow in the text actually reminds God that this covenant exists. So anytime it rains and then the, the light and water and the atmosphere uh, reflect off each other just in the right way and we get those beautiful colors, God looks at that and says, oh yeah, yeah, I promised them I'm not going to do that again. And it's a three-way covenant. It's not just between Noah and God, or not just between Noah and his sons or his family, his lineage, which then becomes Israel, which then becomes everybody. Uh, it's... It's also with every living thing 
that is now on the face of the earth. Everything that is ready to start over participates in this covenant. None of these things will ever be taken away again by God in such a flood. There will never be another flood that destroys the earth. So now here we are, just a few hundred generations later. And the earth hasn't been destroyed by another flood, I don't think. Um, unless there was something that we don't know about. But as far as I know, it, this is the same earth of post-flood. But what does it mean for us? I mean, it's, an, it's such an ancient story, right? It's, it seems to have happened so long ago. And maybe the story is just a way that we can make sense of really old fossils that just lie deep below the earth. And it's like, well, obviously, this can only have happened because of some great flood on the earth. And then it was put to a story. I don't think so, though. I think we can do something else with this story. And I think that lies in the covenant between God, humanity, right, Noah, sons and descendants, and also creation, you know, everything else. Because uh, it's not just animals, right? It's, it's earth, it's land, it's everything that, that now exists in this big old sphere of ours. God will not curse that ground again. That's part of that covenant. God will not cause a flood to wipe out the earth. But is that the end of the story? I mean, there's another thousand or so pages of the Bible, so I don't, I don't think so. I would say there's some more going on. And to think about that, I think we have to think about this fact that creation originally was given as a gift to humanity. Right? Adam and Eve were told, this is all yours. Take care of it. Right? Be responsible. You can eat whatever you want, just, just don't eat that. Just, just please don't eat that. But everything else, this is all a gift. Relationship itself is a gift to Adam, to, to people. It's not good for you to be alone, right? Relationships and creation are both gifts from God. The rest of the text has many tales of violence and destruction, but, but can that really be used as an excuse to be violent? I don't think so. I, I would actually say absolutely not. Humanity has been given a responsibility by God. Here we are in post-flood time, right? We were given this gift, and then violence comes into the picture and, and really messes things up for humanity, for all of us, for the world, even to the point of its own destruction. Sure, God is not going to start over again with another flood, but that's not to say God's always going to be pleased. Our responsibility, I would say, in this post-flood time, and thousands of years later, in good old 2019, is to take care of the earth, right? To take care of each other. Because remember, the, 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 the ground swallowed Abel's blood and accepted it and felt that. There's been this connection to the ground and to each other. Violence is not just horizontal, but also vertical. This is our responsibility, to take care of what we've been given, both creation and our relationships. Maybe that means making ecologically conscious decisions. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe we practice patience and love and empathy with each other, always choosing peace over violence, always, always choosing peace over violence. Whatever we do, whatever that decision is, and I'm not telling you to go buy a reusable straw. Right? I'm, not, I'm not telling you to, to go to couples therapy but I'm sure these are both good things. I don't want to diminish those in any way. What I'm saying is that whatever we choose, 
Our responsibility is to always, always, always choose love, to choose peace, and to choose care as God has continually shown to us. Let's pray.